Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open to Luke chapter 4. We're studying verse by verse through Luke's gospel. We come today to Luke chapter 4, verses 38 through 44. It's a wonderful passage of scripture and really has something to say about Mother's Day, though I didn't plan it that way. Um, You'll notice that Jesus healed the mother-in-law of Simon Peter. The scripture says immediately after she was healed, she got up and fixed lunch. And if that's not a mother, I don't know who is. And so uh, let's, uh, let's read our text today. Jesus heals our diseases, Luke 4, 38. Then he got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. This is Simon Peter. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked him to help her. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever and it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. And while the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And laying his hands on each of them, he was healing them. Demons also were coming out of many shouting, you are the son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. And when day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place. And the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now we've been looking in chapter four about the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus. It begins with his temptation by Satan in the wilderness and he rebuked Satan with the word of God. Jesus is sovereign over Satan, but he's also sovereign over Satan's demons. And so we find him there in the synagogue casting out a demon. And Peter apparently was in attendance that day in the synagogue. Peter grew up in the little village of Bethsaida, but by the time of the writing of Luke 4, he had moved his fishing business to the city of Capernaum. He and his brother Andrew were partners together in that business. Apparently he was in the synagogue that day as Jesus first taught and then cast the demon out of this man. And so apparently he invites Jesus home for lunch. Well, this is of course Mother's Day. And most of us whose mothers are still living would love to give them a gift as nice as Peter gave his mother-in-law. He introduced her to Jesus. Can you think of a better gift than that? And so he comes to to Peter's house. Uh, Those who are blessed with godly parents and in-laws are doubly blessed. And I want to stand as I did in the first service and call my mother and my mother-in-law blessed today. In fact, I have the great privilege of being the pastor to both my parents and my in-laws. And it is a joy to see the godly influence they have on my four children every day. But I know that many of you don't have living mothers or even parents. And for some of you who do, your parents are not Christians. And I would say to you that the greatest blessing that you can give your unbelieving mother is to introduce her to Jesus and to pray for her salvation and keep on praying. Don't give up. There are others in our church who are now caring for aging parents. They're in decline physically and mentally. And I believe that this passage today will be an encouragement to you. So let's listen. As we mentioned last week, Jesus established his base of operations for his ministry up in Galilee in this village of Capernaum, likely here in Peter's house. 
And Jesus taught there in the synagogue and, and the people were amazed at his teaching. By the way, that was the primary reason that Jesus went from village to village was to preach repentance and faith. But oftentimes he confirmed that he was the Messiah through miracles. And sometimes these miracles were the healing of diseases, such is the case here. He got up, left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. His mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. Now you'll note that Luke who wrote this gospel was a medical doctor. He's the only of the four authors of the gospels who note that this was a high fever. This was not just a minor infection. This was life threatening because of those days, of course, a high fever was often a precursor to death. Aren't you glad that we live when we do? Diseases and afflictions that would be at least debilitating in another time and probably deadly are often today because of modern medicine only a minor inconvenience to us. We're just one trip from the drugstore away from good health. But this of course, this action took place before the days of antibiotics and a high fever was a, a terrible sign. So let's notice first the Lord Jesus' attitude towards the afflicted. Christ's attitude towards the afflicted. Now it doesn't say so explicitly in these verses, but it is implied that Jesus was compassionate with the sick. He stood over her. Now he was not repulsed by her condition. He was not too fearful of catching something that he didn't go into where she was. He was often compassionate towards the hurting. In fact, Matthew chapter 11, 28 says he was compassionate towards the spiritually afflicted. Remember the Pharisees put so many laws and burdens upon the common people that it just sucked all the joy out of living. And Jesus said, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He said, my burden's light, my yoke is easy. He was compassionate towards the grieving, Luke chapter seven, verse 13. He came across this woman, the widow of Nain, who was taking her dead son, her only son, to bury him. And he told her to weep not, and he brought this young man back from the dead. Matthew 15, 32, he was compassionate over the hungry. Remember, thousands had gone out to hear Jesus teach, and they'd been there a long time, and Jesus was moved with compassion because they hadn't had anything to eat, and he fed the 5,000. He was certainly often compassionate for the sick. Even the worst kinds of illnesses brought out compassion in Jesus. Remember, lepers in those days were outcast, ostracized from society because of their contagious illness and the fear that people had of it. But Jesus not only spoke to lepers, he touched them. And in Matthew 8, 3, he healed the leper by touching him. And so we serve a sympathetic Savior, compassionate Christ. And if you and I are going to walk closely to Jesus, if we're going to call ourselves followers of Christ, we must be compassionate with people, particularly those who are afflicted with diseases. In fact, if you want to summarize Jesus' own job description, he comforted the afflicted and he afflicted the comfortable. <laughs> Isn't that what Jesus did? When he saw someone who was hungry or sick, he was compassionate, he helped them, but those who were self-satisfied and smug, such as the Pharisees, he afflicted them and said, you're a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus' compassion though was not just an emotion. Sometimes we see something on television that moves us to tears, but we don't do anything about it. But Jesus' compassion was always accompanied by action. We'll see that in a moment. In fact, John, one of the apostles of Jesus later would write, to Christians and he said, if you see a brother in need and close your heart to him, how does the love of God dwell in you? If you can see a Christian brother or sister 
who is sick or hurting or impoverished and, and you're not compassionate towards them, don't claim to be a follower of Christ. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote something similar. He said, if you see a brother in need and you pat him on the back, so to speak, and say, go and be filled and be well. <laughs> but you don't do anything but speak. That's not Christ's likeness. Jesus was more than emotional. He did something. He rebuked the fever here. Now, that's a, an interesting way to say it. it. It's the same terminology that Luke used when he described how he cast out the demon. He rebuked the demon, remember? He told him to be quiet and come out of this man, and so he did. And so to the fever, he commanded it to leave, and it did. The woman was healed immediately, the scripture says. Jesus was exercising his authority in every realm of existence. If you remember, the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians says, Christ is Lord of things of heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That is in every epoch of history and in every realm of existence, spiritual or physical or otherwise, Jesus is sovereign and Lord. Which leads us to our second point, Christ's authority over the body. One of the questions that the Pharisees and scribes often had for Jesus is what gives you the right? By what authority do you speak in the synagogues? By what authority do you heal disease? By what authority do you cast out demons? And the, the answer to that is an easy one. Jesus can heal the body because Jesus created the body, right? And the creator has the right over the created. In the Old and New Testament, there's an image used of a potter and a, a wheel. And on the wheel, there's some clay. And if you've ever seen a craftsman mold clay into a pot or a cup or a bowl, you know, they take this lump of clay and they'll throw it on the spinning wheel and they'll put some water on their hands and they'll mold and make this thing exactly the way they want it to be. And they'll put it in the fire and then it'll be cured. And then you have the product. The creator has the right to make the created any way he chooses. Well, that's true of the physical body as well. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word. That speaks of the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, the Lord Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing was made that has been made. That includes the physical body. Jesus can command the body because He created it. When I pray with someone in a hospital, someone in a hospice bed, and I ask the Lord to heal them, the grounds upon which I ask the Lord to heal them is because you made this body, you can heal this body. And that is true to this good day. But that leads to a second question. Where does disease come from ultimately? I did some research this week and, and I looked uh, on, on just about any civilization that I could think of in ancient history to see if they had some explanation for disease. And almost all of them did. Most of them were pretty bizarre. And I won't bore you with all their explanations for history, but I was most interested in where the scientific community today, which by the way is a religion unto itself, believes disease came from. And one popular notion that's out there today is that disease came in on a comet from outer space. <laughs> that it crashed here on earth and it began to spread. And, and the reason we have disease here today is, is from extraterrestrial activity. Well, as a Christian, we have a wonderful resource and that is the Word of God. And the Word of God explains many of life's greatest questions. Things that people have wondered about for centuries are explained specifically in the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. 
Think about the questions that people always ask philosophically. Where did we come from? How did we get here? Why are we here? Why are people so messed up? <laughs> the answer to those questions is in the book of Genesis. How did we get here? In the beginning God created us, right? Why are we so messed up? Because of sin and sin's entrance into the world. And I believe that is the answer to the question, what is the origin of sin? Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when you eat of it, you will surely die. Romans chapter 5, 12, Paul writes, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, our first parent, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Sickness ultimately is the result of sin. Before sin entered the world, there was no sickness, there was no death. Now, with that said, Christian, be very careful. Don't make the mistake of many in the ancient world of believing and teaching that every time someone contracts a disease or has an affliction, that they or their parents sinned personally. That is, that this disease is a result of their personal sin. I'll give you a couple examples, one in the Old Testament, one in the New. Remember the book of Job. Job was a righteous, godly man. He feared the Lord. But Satan asked God permission to afflict Job, and permission was granted. Remember Job lost his children. He lost his farm, he lost his business, lost his money, ultimately lost his health. He was afflicted with a skin disease that covered his head from the top of his crown to the bottom of his feet. He sat in misery all day long. And his three friends came to see him and they instantly demanded of Job, confess your hidden sin because no one who's truly righteous would have this kind of disease. Well, they were wrong. God allowed this. In the New Testament, Jesus' own disciples had the same mistaken notion of disease. Remember they're out one day and they're walking, they come across a man, probably a beggar, who was blind, scripture says was blind from birth. And the first question Jesus' disciples asked, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born like this? You know what Jesus said? This was radical, by the way, in Jesus' day. Neither. But so the work of God would be manifest in him. And so don't make the mistake, every time someone has something bad happen to them, God's punishing them. The reason we have sin in the world ultimately goes back to the Garden of Eden. But the reason that people get sick specifically is because we are descendants of Adam and Eve, not necessarily because they have sinned some egregious way. Now, Jesus exercised his authority over blindness that day in John 9. But you say, now pastor, we're not Jesus. By the way, mark that down. That's something very good to remember. We are not Jesus, and no one is, especially those claiming to have the gift of healing today. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus healed, He healed completely, and He healed immediately, and He healed even those diseases that were obvious? Watch the faith healers. They don't do that. They, they heal partially, and they heal... Um, those who you can't verify it with your own eyes. And, and they remove those who are obviously affected far, far away from them. They won't allow them in front of the camera. And, and the reason I have no 
um, patience with, with, with charlatans and faith healers is because they prey upon the most desperate and helpless in society. Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus was compassionate. He was moved. Not only could he help, he did help. And he did so in the case of Peter's mother-in-law. Now listen, we're not Jesus, but there are things we can do to help people who are sick. Number one, we can pray. Now I don't believe many hen can heal, but I believe God can heal. He's as powerful today as he's ever been. God didn't change on the blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He says his arm is not shortened that he cannot save. God can save. He hears the prayers of his people and when he chooses to, he heals today. But we can always bring comfort. We are commanded in scripture as Christians to bear one another's burdens. And one of the ways we can do that is through the ministry of presence. I think the most underrated ministry in our church is the ministry of presence, being there when people are hurting. I've often said Baptists never know what to say, but we always know what to cook. <laughs> a casserole can be a great ministry tool. Go to someone's house who's sick, clean their house, pick up their kids at school, take care of them for a while. These are great ways to minister. We can always and should minister to the sick through encouragement. One of the greatest words of encouragement in all the scriptures, Romans 8, 28, you all know it. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Now, we claim to be people of the book, right? We believe the Bible here. If we really believe the Bible, we have to believe all the Bible. And what that verse says is God is able to work all things together for good. That includes disease. That includes cancer and Parkinson's and any other affliction that you can put in place there. If you read it like that, and we know that God works cancer together for good for those that love God. If we really believe the Bible, that's what we believe. So I sat down this week and I wrote out some benefits of sickness. Now listen, I don't like being sick any more than the rest of you, probably less than you. I'm a terrible patient, horrible. I'm a big baby, okay? Um, but I like it even less in my family and, and other people. So here are some benefits of sickness. Number one, sickness helps us not fall in love with the world. <laughs> well, one of the reasons um, I, I think living where we do, we don't sing and talk and preach about heaven as much as a former generation did, is we've got it so good here, right? We're not, for the most part, out in the cotton field making a living by the sweat of our, our brow. Uh, we're, we're not, for the most part, uh, in uncomfortable conditions. We're not for the most part deprived of the basic necessities of life, food, clothing, and shelter. And because we're not, sometimes we, we start having an over-realized eschatology. We start thinking this is heaven. And sometimes the Lord will allow sickness into our life so that we won't fall in love with the world. And, and secondly, related to that, sickness can make us long for heaven and home. When we realize this world is, is not perfect, we long to be in a place that is, where Jesus is. That's why Paul says to set your mind on things above, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Sickness reminds us of our own mortality. It's like gray hair and wrinkles. Okay? Every time I look in the mirror, there's another gray hair, or another crow's foot. You know what that reminds me? Sanders, you're going to die one day. That's right. You better be ready. If you were 21 years old perpetually, you'd just walk around one day, you'd drop dead with no warning. <laughs> I 
But every time you get out of bed and you got a new ache in your back or your knee won't work right, thank the Lord. He's reminding you you're going to face Him in judgment one day. It's kind to do so. And every time we get sick, we don't pray that it would lead to death, but it reminds us that one day something will. Reminds us of our mortality. Something else sickness does. It strengthens our faith. If you are truly born again, it's like steel passed through the fire. Every time you pass steel through the fire, it doesn't make it weaker, it makes it stronger. And another thing that sickness often does, it gives us opportunities to share our faith with people to whom we would not have that opportunity otherwise. I called a man in our church Friday who I knew had been diagnosed with cancer. And he begins 16 weeks of chemotherapy tomorrow. And as I was trying to bring him comfort, he was so excited. He said, Pastor, I've already asked permission. I said, permission for what? Permission to share the gospel with the other patients in the waiting area. And the doctor said it'd be okay. That was the first thing on his mind. Not his own sickness, but an opportunity to share his faith. Sixthly, sickness makes us more sympathetic to others. Right? Don't you find that when, when you've been sick and seriously sick, you find when you hear others are sick, you're a little more sympathetic than you used to be? Which seventhly, makes us better equipped to serve. That is often what God is doing through our sickness. He's sanctifying us. He's making us more and more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.4, write it down. Memorize it when you get home. 2 Corinthians 1.4. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. When God comforts us when we're sick, He enables us then to bring that same comfort to others who become sick. Finally, thirdly, let's look at Christ's activity on our behalf as it relates to sickness. Remember I said Jesus was not only emotionally compassionate, He did something about the sickness. Verse 40, while the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Him and laying his hands on each of them, he was healing them. Now remember, so Jesus sets up his ministry there in Peter's house. But the people wait till the sun goes down to come see Jesus. You know why they did that? Because they were under such a heavy burden from the Pharisees that they dared not move around too much on the Sabbath. Remember, it was the Sabbath. Well, let me tell you something. If they had showed up in the middle of the day, Jesus would have healed them. Because Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. One of the charges that the Pharisees leveled against Jesus was this man heals on the Sabbath. What a crime <laughs> to help people on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, which one of you having a, a sheep or, or, or an ox stuck in the ditch wouldn't get him out on the Sabbath? They cared more about their livestock than they did about hurting people. But Jesus was different. He did something. In fact, it says he healed every person. There's that word all again. Everyone that came to him, he healed. He, he didn't give them a quiz. He didn't give them an application. If they came to him with the need, he healed them. In fact, as far as we can tell, everywhere Jesus went, he simply wiped out sickness and affliction in those areas. But there's something we need to note. Healing sickness was not Jesus' primary mission. Look at verse 42. When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place. He often did that to pray and get alone with the Father. And the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away. But he said to them, I must preach 
the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose, the purpose to preach, that is repentance and faith. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now note this, Jesus wasn't about the social gospel. The social gospel is that if we feed the hungry, clothe the naked, build hospitals, that that is all that is required to fulfill the Great Commission. Now those are good things. Many of us were born in hospitals funded by Christian organizations. I'm thankful for that. Nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing to do, but it's not the gospel. We can cure all the diseases in Keller. We can make sure everyone has three square meals a day. Everyone is clothed with brand new clothes. But if we don't tell them of their need of forgiveness by the God that created them, we have fallen short of fulfilling the Great Commission. Jesus knew that. He said, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. But I also need to add this quickly. That is not to say that Jesus doesn't care about our bodies. He does. Aren't you glad for that? We serve a sympathetic Savior. We don't serve some distant deity. He took on human flesh. He was tempted in that flesh as we are. Jesus is sympathetic to his people. He cares about us, including when we're sick. But here's the greatest thing Jesus has done for our bodies. He has promised to give us new ones, right? Philippians 3.20, Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You say, Pastor, you really believe that, that one day after we're dead and gone, we're going to get new bodies. I absolutely believe it. You say, how can you believe that? Well, listen, I believe that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. If I believe that God can speak a word and create the universe, if I can believe that Jesus walked on water, if I believe after three days Jesus arose victorious over death in the grave, it's no problem for me to believe that one day he's going to give us a new body. He's promised to do it. And he will do it. It's going to be not a lowly body subject to disease and death like we have now. It's going to be a glorious body. One that will never die. And one that is not subject to disease and aging and decay. And in the book of Revelation, he puts a big red underlined under all of that. Would you turn there? Let's close there. I love to read Revelation 21 at funerals of Christians. Last thing I say before we say amen is that this isn't the end. John, the apostle that Jesus loved, was given, I suppose, the greatest privilege in the world. He was allowed, while he was living, to see how this world ends. He was given visions of the throne room of heaven and of the judgment seat of Christ. And in Revelation 21, this is what he saw. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. Now hear this. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. 
Now, lest you think this is some pipe dream of the Apostle John, if you think this is from some pie-in-the-sky make-believe, verse 5 says this, And he who sits on the throne said, Who is he who sits on the throne in heaven? This is God. And God puts his stamp of approval on what John has written, and he says this, He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new right, for these words are faithful and true. You can take it to the bank. You can put your life upon it. It's the absolute truth. One day we're going to receive resurrected bodies fit for heaven where we will be in the presence of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us life. And the means you gave us life was our mothers. And so we honor our moms here today. And then you gave us spiritual life through the Holy Spirit as we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And so, Father, because we are spiritually alive, we also have the hope of having resurrected bodies because Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren who came forth from the grave. And he has promised with a solemn vow, sealed by the very word of God from heaven, that one day we will have new bodies free of pain and suffering, disease and death. And so, Lord, that gives us great encouragement and great hope. So, Lord, when we face difficulties and even diseases, Lord, we are reminded that you're able to work all things together for good. And though we don't look forward to suffering and we hate disease in our families, Lord, we know you can use even that for good. And so please do that in the members of our church. Sanctify us through our suffering so that we can be better able to comfort others in their time of affliction. Use us, Father, for your glory. Lord, I pray if there's one lost person here today who does not understand the forgiveness of sin. Help them to see that their greatest affliction today is their sinfulness. And yet you are as powerful today as you've ever been. If they will call upon you, you will hear their prayer. Cleanse them from all unrighteousness, Father. We pray you do that for your own namesake. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.